Uh, so good to be with you. Um, really, really good. I, I want to start by just saying thank you so I know I know the news was shared last week, but I, I just want to say thank you so much for incredible generosity um, from you guys uh, as you played your part um, with, with the other venues, Hastings, 6 o'clock church, in the gift days for the venues. It was just, just am- amazing. I was absolutely sort of blown away when I had first heard the figure. It's just like, wow, what a generous church. How... How incredibly generous you are, and uh, I just want to start by really just saying thank you so much um, uh, for that. Um, and the other thing I just want to highlight was um, Claire was just sharing about Encounter Night on Friday night. Do do get along. Our, our church was birthed um, uh, under the conviction that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, isn't just words on a page, but He's living, He's active, He's about. And these encounter evenings that we do just three times a year just provide an opportunity to go a little bit further with God um, and to enjoy Him. So there's an opportunity for the prophetic words to flow, for us to respond to Him, for us to pray for one another, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, to be honest, just a great opportunity together. Lou Cousins will be speaking. She will be sharing something prophetic that she feels God has placed on her heart. And so we're going to have a great evening. And the other thing is you also get to meet people from other venues. And that's really good as well. So people from 6 o'clock, people from Hastings, vice versa, works really, really well. So just, um, just want to encourage you to, uh, to get along. Um, Andrew, I thought, started our, our preach series last week really well. Um, looking at Romans uh, chapter 5, he picked up the first uh, I think it was 11 verses there, verses 1 through to 11. And, and, and we're looking at the whole subject of God's power for Christian living. And uh, he said there are sort of two foundational planks. Um, one of them is that we are totally, wonderfully, completely accepted by God because of what Christ Jesus has done. And if you're a Christian here today, that is your position, that's your standing. You may not feel like it. You may think that everything's happened this week says that is not the case, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is so totally true for you, and nothing can shake you um, out of that. And then the second sort of foundational plank that he laid was the fact is that we have got hope for future salvation. Based on everything God has already done and the fact we have peace with him, um, we are accepted by him, we can be absolutely confident and certain um, of our hope for future salvation. And these things are really important if we're going to live the Christian life well. Um, The more we sort of understand about what God has done for us and put it into practice in our lives, the more able we are to live the Christian life as was intended we would live it. And uh, that's why when we first come to know Jesus, we may have lots of enthusiasm, but we may be less on the knowledge And there's that growing opportunity as we come to know more and more about what God has done for us, stepping into it, building our lives upon it, so that when the ups and downs of life come, and and reality is, storms come. The Bible is very clear. If you're a Christian, actually, if you're not a Christian, storms are going to come. But what marks us out is that we've built on the rock. We've built on Jesus Christ. And in a sense, what we're preaching in into in this Roman series as we go from Romans 5 through to Romans 8 is we're, we're, we're building on the rock. This is all about building on the rock that's Jesus Christ because as different things go on in life we, we, we can stand, we don't fall flat and so my, my prayer really for this morning is uh, 
that God firstly gives me grace so that I can communicate effectively. Um, but, but just that we can grasp these next 11, 12 verses, um, we're picking up Romans 5, verse 12 through to 21. So that's nine verses, isn't it? Nine or ten verses. Um, just that we can understand. And now, on first reading, you might think, cool, these are quite complicated. It's, it's quite, quite a tricky passage talks about being in Adam and being in Christ and all these different things, and you're thinking, what on earth is all that about? And it is a bit complicated, but it is absolutely glorious. And I am hopeful, confident that as we grasp, as we understand, as we see, it'll cause rejoicing and joy to rise up in our hearts as we respond. And at the end, we're going to have bread and wine. Um, I think Claire's going to get very official with us. She's going to Oh, Ian is going to do it, so so he's going to have us lines of different people going in different directions for the bread and wine, which is wonderful. But but we're going to have that opportunity to come again and uh, worship and uh, enjoy all that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Now, I mentioned mentioned this, you know, in Adam, in Christ. Um, This is sort of, in a sense, on, on first reading, this is sort of what verses 12 through to 21 is... Um, all about and it's in a sense it's talking a little bit about our family tree or your family tree now I was talking to my uncle a couple of weeks ago and um, I took a photograph of my family tree so if we can pop that up there so I think I'll just see if I can see it no I can't read that it's too small I think where is it where does it say it where does it say it so at the top of the family tree, you find David Mann, who married Elizabeth. Um, and we, I reckon he was born around the 1770s. I don't, I don't quite know, but he was born somewhere around there. And they had a son, Joshua, who had a son called... No, no, had a, yeah, uh, no, no John, who had a son called Joshua, who had a son called William. Um, and as we go on, you'll find a little green blob on the far right-hand side. Well, under that green blob is... a is a name, that's Sam, that's Samuel. Samuel was my granddad. Um, He was married to Hetty. Uh, They lived in um, Oldham, just outside Manchester, and I think the the mans are from Manchester, so I am uh, led to believe. Samuel and and Hetty uh, had a son called Stuart, um, who married Sarah, and then... Um, they had Catherine, my older sister, um, and then in July the 28th, 1973, um, I was born. I, I came along. And as I was looking at that I, I, and thinking a little bit about my family and stuff like that, I realised that there are various family traits that I have within me. There's uh, different personality things. There's different uh, 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 things in my appearance or in my build, and they come from one side of my family um, or from the other side. Samuel was um, in World War II. He was um, in the Navy. He was in the Atlantic convoys. And I realized, actually, that if Samuel hadn't survived the Atlantic convoys, I wouldn't be here. There, there There is something about my me being here and my life, that is directly linked to what happened with Samuel. Um, 20 years after the war, they moved down to Kingsbridge in Devon. You're thinking, God, what on earth is he going on about here? He's rambling like anything. 
He moved down to Kingsbridge in Devon. They bought a fish and chip shop. Um, and uh, they ran a fish and chip shop for 20 years. So, so I could have been the Harry Ramston of Hastings, couldn't I? Do you know what I mean? I, I could have had this network of fish and chip shops. Anyway, we won't, we won't, think, we won't think about that. But, but you realize that decisions that he made affected me. I was in some ways hidden in Samuel. He didn't know I was there. But I was hidden in Samuel. What happened to him, in some ways, happened to me. I'm sure if you go up far enough up that family tree to David Mann, I, there's something about who he was. I was hidden within him. And the Bible picks this concept up in Romans chapter 5. It talks about being either in Adam or in Christ. And what the Bible communicates is that actually every single person is in Adam. Every single person born on the face of the planet, whatever your nationality, whatever generation, every single person is born in Adam. It's as though you've got Adam at the top of your family tree. And just as I carry the consequences and the characteristics of my family tree in me right now, so actually even more so, I carry the characteristics and the consequences of being in Adam. And that is the same for every single person that is here, every single person on the face of the planet, we are born into Adam. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus appeared on the scene. He lived a perfect life. He died a death on a cross, rose again victorious, and he started, as it were, a new family line. He started a new family line, no longer just Adam on his own, everyone born in Adam, everyone living in Adam. He formed a new family line in Christ. And what we find here in Romans chapter 5 is this description of the differences between being in Adam and being in Christ. And this isn't just some technicality, it's not just something of interest, it has a dramatic impact on how we live life. Our understanding of this, the way we live in the back, on the back of it, has a massive, massive impact on how we live. So my hope is that as we spend 20 minutes looking at the comparisons of being in Christ or in Adam, it will cause you to worship and glorify God. So if we go back a few uh, slides, let's pick it up in verse 12 um, to 14. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. We, we get in these opening verses a bit of a CV of Adam. We get to see a little bit about what Adam brought to us. What are the consequences, the characteristics that, that we have inherited from Adam? We find here that, and we pick it up in the first couple of chapters of Genesis actually, that sin entered through Adam. When God created the world, there was no sin, but it came in through Adam. We find that death came on the back of sin. It's a consequence of 
what Adam brought in and every human being on the face of it is born under the reign and the tyranny of sin with the consequence of death at the end of it. I got myself into all sorts of a, 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 a sort of a twist. Um, Saying, so, you know, I, I, I don't know anyone who hasn't died and I, I realised, no, that wasn't what I wanted to say. That wasn't what I was trying to communicate. Everyone on the face of the planet dies. There's only two exceptions probably in the Bible. There are two we came up with in Hastings, being Enoch and Elisha. 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 But death entered. And then, look, look, death spread to everyone as all sinned. Like an oil slick that at the beginning looks like nothing, just a little hole in the side of the boat. But over time, this thick, destructive oil splurges out of the oil tank and it covers everything. It covers the sea. It it, it covers the rocks on the beach. It it covers the seabirds and it kills the fish. It pollutes the whole lot. And sin is like that. You can look at the seagulls and you can look at the fish and you can look at the coastline and think, oh, I can see a glimmer of what it was supposed to be like, but it's just so marred by this thick, oily tar. It's destroying, killing everything. Sin started as just one man's disobedience, but has splurged and contaminated and destroyed all that God created. And we find that is what is described here. Sin entered through Adam. Death entered through sin. And death spread to everyone. And then we move on in verse 15. And he says, but the gift is not like the trespass. Remember, he's comparing the difference between being in Adam and being in Christ. And the gift he's talking about is salvation in Jesus Christ, the wonder, the uh, glory of it. And by the way, I'm probably going to get quite excited because it is really good news, this stuff. It's absolutely brilliant. Sam, I give you permission to be Garnan if you want, okay? So, uh, so in, in the middle of this. So he says this, for, look, if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace And the gift that comes by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. Many died because of one man's sin. This is what he says, in Adam. For those in Adam, what does it lead to? That I'm I'm dead. Death will come. Many died. If you're hidden in Adam, if Adam's at the top of your family tree, that is the situation you find yourself in. But if you are in Christ... If you have been cut out of Adam and grafted into Jesus Christ, we find that actually many, many are saved by grace, by the undeserved favour and kindness of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. It is wonderful. And look at those those phrases it says there. It says, how much more? Now, I don't know, but if you think about sin, it's pretty pervasive, pervasive, pervasive. Yeah, whatever, you know what I mean. Sin's everywhere. Evil is everywhere, whether it's, whether it's a child thumping their sibling or, or the war in Syria. Sin is everywhere. It's destructive. It is evil. It is totally... Per, per, oh, you know what I mean, everywhere. <laughs> but, but it says here, how much more? How much more? It's so important we read the Bible slowly because you can miss bits like this. However powerful sin and death is, 
There's a how much more to the grace and salvation in Jesus Christ that we, we have, that we have as a gift. Nor, verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. You see, sin doesn't just lead to death. Sin leads to judgment and condemnation. Every person on the face of the planet without Jesus Christ will stand before the judgment seat of God. What's condemnation? You are guilty. You will be punished. It's frightening. One man's sin led to judgment, condemnation for all people. But then look, look, look at this. Many, 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 many sins. But Jesus stepped in, leading to justification, which basically means Jesus carries our sin he pays the penalty for it. I get a right legal standing with God. I'm no longer guilty, just as if I never sinned. However much the weight and the rubbish and the stuff you've done, Jesus Christ steps in. He carries the whole penalty for it. You stand now before God. You are justified, just as if I never sinned. Not because you've earned your way into it, but because a bit like Christmas Day as a small child, you receive a free gift for you to enjoy because Jesus Christ is all of grace. All of grace. And, and this, this isn't something you slowly work your way into. Can I mature enough? Can I be holy enough to get it? No. The moment you came to understand that Jesus Christ died for your sin, and it could have been as a five-year-old, or it could be while you're in your 70s, the moment you came to understand Jesus Christ died for your sin and you accepted him, you were cut out of Adam, you were grafted into Jesus Christ, and now everything that is true of Jesus Christ is true of you. So yes, sins have been forgiven, but so much more than that. You're now living in the realm of his undeserved kindness and favour. And even when you continue to mess up, and sometimes you do it deliberately, you're still in the realm of his undesired favour and kindness and you will never be shifted out of it. That's the mercy, the kindness of God. That's why later on it will go, well, do we just carry on sinning then? If it's not on me, if it's all a free gift, and he says, no, no, never. We'll answer that later on in, in chapter 6. But, but ah, many sins, but Jesus Christ stepped in bringing justification. For if by the trespass of one man, verse 17, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Adam sinned, death reigned over everyone, not just over Adam. That's a consequence of being in Adam. Many, many, many sins, super abundant grace of Jesus Christ breaks in, free gift of righteousness, we reign in life. It's amazing. And, and, and notice, what, what happens? We go from death to... No, no, that, well, that's only half of it. Read, what does it say? You go from death to... Reigning, reigning in... Reigning in life. So you don't just go from death to life. 
you go to death to reigning in life. There is a kingliness, there is an authority, there is a provision that is made in us. I mean, it's wonderful that we go from death to life, but that's not what the Apostle Paul says. Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace. Now, if God's calling something, you know, if it's abundant in God's sight, then you can be certain it is abundant. And the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, we still battle. We still fight day by day by day. But, but, but I, I want to change our mentality. We're not, we're not called just to drag ourselves through life. We're called to reign in life. And if God said he's given us everything we need for that, then he doesn't lie, does he? Come on, think. He doesn't lie. Even if my reality is not lining up with that, <coughs> what needs to change? Will God change? Will God's truth change? Are you the only exception in the Christian world to what the Bible says is true? No, come. Now, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to be unfair. I know it can be hard. But we have to fight for faith. And we have to grab hold. We need to read the Bible slowly. First, you start reading the Bible. Secondly, read it slowly. And let it impact you. Let faith rise. First step is understanding we're called to reign in life. And that's not some uh, silly, glorious possession where we float over problems. That's not how it is. But there is a reigning in life through the heartache that we come across. Sometimes we took our boys along Bexhill Seafront and they used to, when they, they couldn't learn to ride their, when they couldn't ride their bike, they had their stabilisers on and they would be pedalling like anything along Bexhill Seafront and they get to the bottom of Galley Hill and they look up and they go, <gasps> join, because they can pedal along when life's all right, but when life's tough going uphill, there's no way that they can get up there. They can't do it. But then... Mum or dad comes along and puts their hand in the small of their back. And as they pedal and pedal and pedal and steer, and mum and dad pushes, they find before they know it, they're at the top of Galley Hill. They never thought they could do it. That's God's grace. That's God's super abundant grace. We're pedaling like crazy. We still feel the wind in our face, so it's still hard. But we suddenly realise by his grace as we keep going and going, you know, if, if one of our children had got off the bike and said, I can't do it, I give up, there would be no opportunity for mum or dad to put the hand in the small of the back and push them and propel them up Galley Hill. For some of us, what we need to do is we need to do the things we know God's calling us to do in faith knowing that actually that in itself is not enough to get us to the top of this circumstance or this difficulty we're facing. But as we do it, we're trusting that my Father in heaven, through his Holy Spirit, will empower me to get up there. As I do the best I can, peddling, knowing I have not got the resources or the energy to do it, but I know that his abundant provision of grace and free gift of righteousness provide all I need to reign in life. Even though everything inside me right now is telling me that is not true for me, it is. 
Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. What Adam did didn't just affect him, it affected every human being after him. What Christ has done means that his work, his life, is available for anyone who will turn and put their trust in Jesus Christ. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Just one act. One act of obedience. Jesus Christ, obedient to his Father, dying on a cross, buried, and then three days later rose again. He became a whole new head. He, he became, as it were, head of a family tree. And everyone who puts their trust in him is cut out of Adam and grafted into Christ. And therefore now, everything that is true of Jesus is true of me. Just as we can see how what was true of Adam was true for us before. The death, the sin, the condemnation, the guilt, the shame. But I'm now in Christ. If I've given my life to him, I'm, I'm no longer of Adam. Those characteristics, the consequences, they're, they're not mine to carry now. Because Jesus carried them. I'm now hidden in Christ. I live a new life in him. Notice just those two little words. Through Adam's disobedience, through Christ's obedience. Two little words that we can so quickly rush over. Can I just pause, and it's not really what the Apostle Paul writing this letter is getting at, but please don't, don't undervalue the power of your acts of obedience. Don't belittle your disobedience. Christ was obedient to a point of even death on a cross. How much there, therefore, should we also be obedient in following Jesus and doing what we know he's calling us to do? We like to believe we live in a vacuum, that, that what we do doesn't affect anyone else. It does. When we disobey God, it affects us. It probably affects those who are nearest and dearest to us. But actually, it affects us as a community. When we obey, faith-filled, step out and love, follow what we know he's calling us to do, even though it's costly, that is powerful for us in our own walk with God, but for our families, for the church community as a whole. Do not say, oh, it doesn't affect anyone else. It doesn't matter if I sleep with my partner. That doesn't affect anyone else. If, can I say, if you're part of us as a community, if you're part of this family, this, this church, it does. It does affect you guys and probably wider family as well, but it, it, it affects us as a community too. Don't, don't make small of acts of obedience and disobedience. 
Then in verse 20, it goes on. It says, the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. Um, the Apostle Paul here is just answering a question he imagines that the church in Rome are going to ask. Just about where does the law fit in and is Moses like another Adam? And it's like, no, no, he's not. Um, but then he goes on and he finishes absolutely gloriously um, in, in verse 21. And I want us to use this to um, propel us into the bread and wine um, in a few moments time. But it says this, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yet sin may increase. You, you may even find it, it's, it's increasing around you, but grace is more powerful. Grace increases all the more. In another translation, I think it says, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. I like that. How we need the superabounding grace of God in our lives, that's the promise of the Word of God. Just as sin reigned in death and it reigned over you, it doesn't reign over you anymore because you're not of Adam, you are of Christ. Therefore, grace reigns through righteousness. That is where you're seated. That is where you are sat. That is your inheritance. That is how you live right now. You wake up in the morning. Do you know what? I'm going to have some more superabounding grace of God this morning. That's what I need. I need a cup of tea and I need superabounding grace. That's the realm of which I live in. Even though circumstances, you're cycling up Galley Hill, everything's against you. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for that superabounding grace. Your Father God, His hand in the small of your back, helping you cycle up to the top of that hill. There are seasons of life when you can free wheel down the other side. But we know, don't we? We know we need superabounding grace. And what does it do? Bringing eternal life in Jesus Christ. That is what we are part of. The Bible is full of this. It describes it in many different ways, but it is full of this. It describes it as being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It talks about it in that you've been grafted into a new vine, Jesus Christ. Ian Lockwood, at one point or other, I don't know how old he was, but he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And although he didn't realize it, he was cut out of that old vine, Adam and grafted into a new vine, Jesus Christ. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in Ian Lockwood. As much on a Sunday morning, as a Monday morning, as on a Wednesday evening, the same power and the characteristics and the consequences and everything that Jesus Christ won for him, they're there for Ian to enjoy right now. And that is true for every single one of you that is in Jesus Christ. You've been born again. You've been adopted into a family. All different ways of saying that when we came to know Jesus, yes, our sins got forgiven. That is wonderful. But I was transferred. I was cut out of. I was grafted into something radical took place. Now live in the good of it. Now live it out. Because there's new characteristics and a new nature. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You are in Christ. Now live in the good of it. Live in the good of everything he has won for you.